Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Don had led us through Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10, where the Apostle Paul explains to us the fundamentals of the Christian gospel, what we normally call as salvation. Why we need salvation, how we can obtain it, and also how our lives can be transformed as a result of it. This morning, I would also like to consider the uh, truth of salvation by looking at a passage from the Gospel of Mark, which illustrates for us the truths that the Apostle Paul mentioned to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, as we look at verses 1 through 20. Jesus' deliverance of the demon-possessed man. Now, when we think of the uh, four Gospels, uh, Mark's Gospel is probably the one that is uh, the least well-known, because uh, there's not really any special verse or story associated with it. You know, when we think of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we often think of the birth of Jesus or the Christmas story. Of course, the Gospel of John, we have probably the most famous verse in all scriptures, John 3.16. But uh, if Mark's gospel is known for anything at all, it's uh, usually known as being the shortest gospel, with only uh, 16 chapters, compared to the 28 in uh, Matthew and the 24 in Luke and the 21 in John. But uh, in these uh, 16 chapters that Mark has recorded for us, there is one incident that is the longest incident or the incident for which Mark has devoted the most amount of space. And that is the incident that we are going to look at uh, this morning. So the fact that uh, Mark devoted so much of the space of his gospel to this one incident means that he probably thought it was very important. There are two parallel accounts of this incident in Matthew 8 as well as Luke 8, but the account in Mark 5 is the longest one. So shall we begin by reading Mark's gospel chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. Then they, that is Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, that is Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, verse 5. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So verse 1 tells us that uh, Jesus and his disciples arrive at this particular location. We see that there is a confrontation between Jesus and a particular person. But this is no ordinary person. Verses 2 through 5 describe this person for us. Uh, Notice his unique characteristics. You know, verse 2 tells us that he had an unclean spirit or a demon. Verse 3 tells us that he lived among the tombs and that he was very strong. Verse 4 tells us that he was very wild. In fact, uh, Matthew in his account says that This man was exceedingly fierce so that people even were afraid to pass by that location. And verse 5 tells us that he was restless and self-destructive. Luke's account tells us that uh, he had had these demons for a long time 
And in fact, he was running around with no clothes. So try to uh, picture this scene. If you or I saw such a person, what would we do? Uh, most of us, myself included, probably wouldn't go near him. We wouldn't want to send our children anywhere near him. But we notice that Jesus makes contact with him. The Son of God making contact with a son of the devil. Now why? Because that's why Jesus came to this world. You know, throughout his ministry, we know that Jesus often went to people that society otherwise shunned or looked down upon. You know, tax collectors, harlots, widows, even this demon-possessed man. Furthermore, Jesus was not surprised by this man. Now, the disciples may have been, but Jesus wasn't. Because if we look at the end of chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 35, it is Jesus who suggested that they cross over to the other side. So when Jesus suggested that they cross over to the other side, he knew exactly who was waiting for him as soon as he stepped out of the boat. Because chapter 5, verse 2 says, when he came out of the boat, immediately they came across this man. So we have contact, contact between Jesus and this demon-possessed man. But now after the initial contact in verses 6 through 13, we find a confrontation between Jesus and this man. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, that's the demon-possessed man, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly, he would not send them out of the country. Verse 11, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, about 2,000 of them. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now one thing that's amazing is in the Gospels, the demons never questioned or had any doubt as to who Jesus was. In fact, we read in verse 6 that the man falls down and worships Jesus. And the demons give a clear confession of who he is and acknowledge the power he had over them. Look at their confession in verse 7. Jesus, son of the Most High God. You know, that's why they say, I implore you or we beg you, please do not torment us. So the demons knew that their time of judgment was coming. And Luke tells us in his account that the demons were afraid of being cast into the abyss. Uh, that was a place of confinement until their time of final judgment. In other words, the demons are begging Jesus through this man, please don't send us to our time of final judgment until the appointed time. So the demons knew who Jesus was. The demons knew that he had power over them. You know, Mark indicates for us three ways that the demon inside the man knew Jesus' divine origin and superior power. Verse 6 says, he bowed before him. 
he worshipped him. In verse 7, the way he addressed him. And also the fact of their pleading or their request that Jesus not do something to them. So Jesus' own family members, the religious leaders, and the crowd could not accept it when Jesus said he was the Son of God. But these demons had absolutely no problem accepting that. They knew exactly who Jesus was. The demons knew the truth. In fact, if you look back at chapter 3 and verse 11 of Mark's Gospel, we read that whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out saying, You are the Son of God. Most people, when Jesus was on this earth, were not willing to do that. But the demons, they did that. Coming back to chapter 5, the man also revealed that he had a multitude of demons inside him. He says that his name is Legion in verse 8. And a legion was a Roman army regiment of about 6,000 men. Now whether or not he literally had 6,000 demons inside, the point is this man was completely under the control of these demonic influences. And we read that the demons request permission to go into the 2,000 or so swine that are nearby. And Jesus allows them to do so. So I believe in these first uh, 13 verses of this incident, in this contact between Jesus and the man, in this confrontation between Jesus and the demons, we find Mark's first purpose in recording this incident. You know, why did Mark take so much of space? Of course, when he wrote it, there were no chapter or verse divisions. But why did he take so much of space and devote so much details in his relatively short gospel to record this incident? And I believe the first reason is to show his readers exactly who Jesus is. See, Mark begins his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1 by saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And through this gospel, he is showing his readers that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. So he's telling his readers, readers, here's proof that Jesus is the Son of God. If we look back to chapter 4, from verses 35 to 41, we see Jesus calming the storm. So Jesus has control over nature. In the passage we are looking at now, Jesus has control over demons, over the supernatural. If we keep reading in chapter 5, verses 25 to 34, it records for us Jesus healing the woman who had an issue of blood. So Jesus has control over illness or sickness. Then at the end of chapter 5, we read the incident of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. So Jesus has control over death. So control over nature, control over demons, control over sickness, and even control over death. Who except the Son of God can have such control? That's what Mark is telling us. So this incident of Jesus delivering the demon-possessed man is one of several incidents that Mark is using to prove that Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus can control nature. Jesus can control the supernatural. Jesus can control sickness. Jesus even controls death. And that is only possible because he is the Son of God. Chapter 5, verse 14. 
So the demons have gone into the swine. We read in verse 13, the swine ran and were drowned into the sea. Verse 14, those who, fled, those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Verse 16. And those who saw it told them how it happened to them who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him, that is with Jesus, to depart from their region. So, so far we've had contact. Contact between Jesus and this demon-possessed man. So far we've had a confrontation between the demons or the devils inside this man and Jesus. But in these verses we read, after this contact and confrontation, there is conversion. Now, look at the opposites here in the experience of this man in the first few verses of this chapter and the verses that we just read. Opposites. Before we read, the man was running around wildly. But we read here that he is sitting. Luke tells us that he was running around naked. But we read here that he is clothed. Mark tells us he was cutting himself and screaming. But now he is sitting quietly in his right mind. Now, how is that possible? Well, that's what true transformation or conversion is all about. A change of heart and mind leading to a change of action. What no one else had been able to do for this man his entire life, Jesus was able to do in a matter of seconds. You know, we read in verse 4 that people had tried to control this man with chains and shackles. But it was of no use. It was completely useless. But here, Jesus has done more than control the man. Jesus has transformed the man. Now, not because of anything the man had done. Uh, the man was totally helpless. He was completely under the influence of the demons inside him. In fact, uh, one author says that the man cutting himself with the stones, it may have been his own futile attempt to drive the demons out of him. But now, once he has come face to face with Jesus, the Son of God, this man is changed. This man is delivered. Not because of anything he did, but because of the words of Jesus. We read that at the command of Jesus, you know, the demons told Jesus, give us permission, we will do this. At the command of Jesus, the demons left the man. And I believe this conversion story brings out Mark's second purpose in recording this incident for us. You know, it's not just to show us who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God and that he controls all, but the story also shows us what Jesus can do for people. One author put it like this, Jesus' sovereign authority and the quality of salvation he brings find graphic illustration in this account. I like that phrase, quality of salvation. You know, the salvation that Jesus brings is not some, you know, cheap or half-hearted or maybe it will work, you know, try it, good luck, keep your fingers crossed kind of thing. This is the real deal. Now, how does this story show us the quality of salvation that Jesus brings? Well, if you think about it, 
Isn't this demon-possessed man an appropriate picture of what sin does to people? Of how people, including ourselves, of how we were before our conversion. Now, maybe we were not you know, demon-possessed. Maybe we were not running around living in the tombs. But was our evil any less evil? Well, not really. Now, maybe our evil is more sophisticated and maybe it's more polished, but evil is evil no matter where it is. Uh, a person on the streets of a large city like you know, DFW is just as lost as the man at the garrisons in the tombs was. Well, maybe today we have you know, better clothes or better cars or better food or you know, better circumstances, but evil is still evil. Evil binds people. It controls them. It drives them insane, exactly what these demons were doing to this man. And maybe others or even the people themselves, they try various measures to stop or control the evil like this man had done. But all of those measures, even if they work, they only work for a very short time. They are temporary at best. You know, when we read of this demon-possessed man, uh, we can think back to the words we considered last week. I'll read them for you in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Yes, that, that does describe this demon-possessed man pretty well, but if we were honest, I think it describes each one of us as well. You know, the previous evening, Jesus and his disciples, they had seen a storm on the ocean, but now they were seeing a storm in the heart of man, in the soul of man. And what Mark is telling us through this account is until people realize that they are far away from God, that every inclination of their heart is evil, when held up to the standards of a holy God, true salvation cannot take place. You know, it's not about whether we are better or worse than, than those around us. It's about the fact that we have failed to live up to the standards of the God who created us. The holy standards, the perfect standards that God has set for us, not the standards that we might set for one another. And we are so far away from God in our sins that Paul says we are dead in our sins. You know, we don't need medicine. Medicine is for sick people. Paul says we need life because we are dead. That's what sin does to us. And Mark's purpose here is not so much to focus on the demons or the demon-possessed man, but his purpose is to draw our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice in verse 2, nothing happened until Jesus got out of the boat. Verses 6 and 7, the demons are in fear and in subjection to Jesus. Verse 13, Jesus is the one who commands the demons. Verse 15, the crowds came to Jesus. Verse 17, the crowds begged Jesus to leave. And even though we haven't read those verses yet, in verse 18, this man, after his deliverance, he wants to follow Jesus. And the story ends with verse 20, with this man proclaiming Jesus in the surrounding region. So from start to finish, Mark's focus is on Jesus. 
So coming back to Mark's purpose for recording this incident, yes, first to show his readers who Jesus is, the Son of God who controls all, the one who controls nature, the one who controls the supernatural, even demons, the one who controls sickness, and the one who controls death. Yes, he is the Son of God. But because he is the Son of God, Mark is telling us, he can also do something that no one else can do. And what is that? Just like he did for this demon-possessed man, he can deliver people from the sin and evil that binds them. Again, thinking back to Ephesians chapter 2, you know, Paul says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, when we were far away from God, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together. And he goes on to say in verse 7, to show his exceeding grace, to show his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then of course those verses that we, many of us know in verse 8 and verse 9, by grace we have been saved. We were singing about that amazing grace, not because of anything we have done, but only because of faith. Nothing in us that we can boast about. You know, this demon-possessed man, he had nothing to boast about. He had not contributed anything to his salvation. Jesus had sought him out. Jesus was the one who took the initiative to make contact with this man. It's not even that this man was looking, running around looking for Jesus. Jesus is the one who had sought him out. Jesus had showed kindness to this man, not because of anything the man had done, but because of Jesus' great love with which he loved the man. You know, the man didn't just see Jesus. The man didn't just hear about him or know about him. The man had a personal encounter with him. And that's unfortunately what uh, many people, even in our own society today, even within the world of Christianity, often miss. You know, maybe they've gone to church their whole life. They've participated in activities, you know, camps, VBS, conferences, retreat, choir, you name it, they've done it. But they never came to that point where they made a personal, decisive, truly repentant decision to trust in Christ. You know, it's interesting in all this to notice the uh, reaction of the crowd, the crowd in that area. You know, they heard about what happened to the uh, demon-possessed man because uh, the news spread, you know, rather quickly, understandably so. And when the people around heard about this, uh, they came to see the transformation. And uh, what are they? Are they, are they happy? Are they, are, are they joyful? No, we read they are upset. Well, how do we know? Well, look back at verse 17. They began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. So in the midst of this contact, in the midst of this confrontation, after this conversion, we see conflict. The people are not very pleased with what Jesus has done for this man. Now, now why is that? Um, were they afraid um, of the power that Jesus had, even of the supernatural and demons? Uh, perhaps. But uh, I think maybe they were more concerned with uh, what Jesus might do to their life. Because remember, uh, Jesus did affect some of their possessions and source of income. Uh, go back to verse 13. What had happened to the uh, demons when they left the unclean man? Well, it says they entered a herd of swine, about 2,000 swine, 
and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and were drowned. You know, this was uh, most likely a predominantly Gentile region, so uh, the owners of that area were probably raising these pigs for the meat market in, in the ten cities in the Decapolis that we read about in verse 20. So maybe they're thinking to themselves, uh, our livelihood, our business, our possessions have been hurt. We've just lost 2,000 pigs, and that's no small number. We don't really care that a once-tormented, demon-possessed man has been delivered. And so in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to leave them alone. Now one commentator says that has to be one of the saddest verses in the scripture. They began to plead with him to depart from their region. But isn't that like so many people today? Even perhaps people who claim to know about Jesus or are involved in various Christian things. You know, they're okay with Jesus until he begins to interfere with their plans or, or their lifestyle. You know, Don used the example last week of many people want to co-pilot Jesus, uh, one that they can give instructions to. But once Jesus tells them to do something they, they don't agree with, once Jesus affects their way of living, then like the crowd, they too want Jesus to leave them alone. Now, one author has put it this way, many people today do would like to follow Jesus as long as they can tell that Jesus where to go. So I'll follow you as long as, you tell, as, long as I can tell you where to go. But that's not the Jesus that we find in the Bible. How does the story end, verses 18 through 20, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5? Verse 18, when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So we have two contrasting pleadings here. In verse 17, the people want Jesus to leave that region. But in verse 18, the demon-possessed man begs Jesus that he might go with him. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion or mercy on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, when we think of the uh, man's uh, request in verse 18, you know, we might say, well, that's, that's a noble request. I mean, surely Jesus is not going to refuse him. How can Jesus turn away anyone who wants to follow him? But in verse 19, we read that's exactly what Jesus did. Um, Jesus did not permit the man to follow him. And we might think, well, that's strange. I mean, all his ministry, Jesus was asking people to follow him. And here's now a man that begs to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you, you can't go with me. You can't follow me. Now, why? Well, verse 19 gives us the answer, because Jesus had a greater task or mission for this man. You know, after making contact with the man, after having a confrontation with the demons in the man, after bringing about the conversion of the man, after experiencing conflict with the crowd, Jesus gives a commission to this man. And, and what is the commission or the mission that Jesus gives this man? Verse 19, go back home you know, to your friends, your family, and testify to them. Be a witness to them. Now, what would he testify? Well, verse 19, what great things the Lord has done for you. And it truly was great, wasn't it? 
You know, the man that everyone else in the society had shunned up to this point, who continually day and night was being tormented with no rest, no hope, no peace. Now what a transformation. What a great thing had been done for him. But also notice the next part. And how the Lord has had compassion or mercy on you. That's why Jesus came. To show compassion, to show love, to show mercy to those whom society felt were not deserving to receive compassion or mercy. To extend grace and mercy to those whom society would only pronounce judgment on. Remember Jesus' own words, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. So in effect, what Jesus is telling this once demon-possessed man is, I want you to go back to your people and proclaim the character of God. A God who takes the initiative. You know, as the song said, a God who chases after people who are far, far away from him. Go tell people that this God is great. This God is holy. This God is awesome. This God is wrathful. But if you are willing, if you come to him in humble repentance, this God will have compassion and mercy on you. You know, when I read uh, Jesus' commission to this man, I can't help but think, um, how can this man be a missionary? He's not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's not an elder. He's had no training, right? And this, by the way, is the first preacher that Jesus sent out. Uh, He hasn't even sent out the apostles yet. How how can this man, what are his qualifications to be a spokesperson for Jesus? Well, how much do you have to know to be a missionary? Well, how much do you have to know to be the only missionary in the region? Well, I think verse 19 gives us the answer. If you have truly experienced the great things that the Lord has done for you, if you have truly experienced His kindness and His compassion in your life, well, then you're qualified to be a witness, to be a spokesperson for Jesus. And did the man obey Jesus' command? Well, verse 20 tells us that he did. He departed and began to proclaim all that Jesus had done for him. Not what he had done, because he had done nothing, but all that Jesus had done for him. And I believe that that gives us Mark's third purpose in recording this narrative. Yes, this narrative does tell us who Jesus is. Yes, this narrative does tell us what Jesus can do for people. But this narrative also shows us what Jesus expects those people who have been transformed to spend the rest of their life doing. If God has done great things for us, it is our responsibility to share that with those around us. Not to earn our salvation, we have already received salvation, but we do it as a responsibility, as an expression of gratitude for the salvation we have received. And this is part of the good works mentioned in Ephesians 2.10, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should do. And for this demon-possessed man, I believe uh, that was part of his good works. He had to be a witness. He had to be a testimony of what God had done in his life. And like verse 20 says, we do it not so that people would marvel and boast at us, but so that people would marvel and boast at the Lord Jesus. We do it so that others also might come to know and experience the same truth, the same compassion, the same transformation that we have experienced. So why has Mark taken so much of place in this 
relatively short gospel to tell us about this incident? Well, to show us who Jesus is, to show us what he can do for people, and to show what people who have experienced what he can do should spend the rest of their lives doing. And I believe that the application this morning is the same for us. The question for each of us is, do we know who Jesus is? Not just a great man or a great teacher or a miracle worker, but the very Son of God, the one who has control over all, nature, demons, sickness, death, the supernatural, control over all. Once we realize who Jesus is, do we realize what Jesus can do for us and why he came to this world, and have we experienced it ourselves? We're talking about salvation, deliverance from the power and control of sin and evil to be made right with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, all those other people in that region, they saw what Jesus had done for the man, but they hadn't experienced it for themselves. And that's why they wanted Jesus to leave them alone. So even this morning, it's possible that there is someone or some sitting here, you know what Jesus has done. You've seen it in the lives of others, but you've never really experienced it yourself. And for those of us who have experienced this wonderful salvation and transformation, do we know what God expects us to spend the rest of our life doing? You know, to tell those around us, to show them in our places of work, in our daily lives, in, in the normal lives that we lead, as he gives us opportunity to show them what great things the Lord has done for us and how he has had compassion on us. I want to close with an observation from verse 20, the very last phrase in this account. It says, all the people marveled when they heard what this man had done. And depending on your translation, it may be uh, amazed. They were in awe. They were in wonder. Some translations, perhaps even, they were in fear. But I think the word that really captures the essence of what Mark is trying to say there is that word marveled. It's a sense of uh, amazement. It's a sense of awe and wonder. And this is actually a theme in uh, Mark's gospel, and uh, I'd just like to uh, quickly show you this. Uh, come back to chapter 1, verse 27, because I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark ends this account by saying that all the people marveled. Chapter 1, verse 27. Here we have demons, uh, Jesus again casting out demons. In chapter 1, verse 27, when all the people saw this, it says, they were all amazed. They all marveled. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. When Jesus healed the paralytic, chapter 2 and verse 12, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed. Look at chapter 4 and verse 41 chapter 4 and verse 41. After he calmed the storm, what was the response of the, his own disciples? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? You know, feared exceedingly. It's the same idea. They were amazed. They marveled. Chapter 5, verse 42. After Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Chapter 6, verse 51. Jesus has just walked on the water, and then he stills the sea. 
And what is the response? He went up into the boat and the wind ceased, chapter 6, verse 51. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus healing the deaf and the mute. And what is the reaction of the people? Chapter 7, verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure. Chapter 9, verse 15. Chapter 9, verse 15. Immediately when they saw him, that is Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed. Chapter 10, verse 32. 1032. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. Chapter 12, verse 17. Chapter 12, verse 17. Jesus has answered the question of the religious leaders in terms of who they should pay their taxes to or who they should honor. And look at the end of verse 17 when they heard Jesus' answer and they marveled at him. Chapter 15, verse 5. Chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus is being questioned by Pilate and he refuses to answer. And verse 5 says, Pilate marveled. And how does Mark end his gospel? Chapter 16 and verse 8. Chapter 16 and verse 8. When those who came to the tomb expecting to find the body of Jesus. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. Mark begins his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I believe what he's telling us through this gospel is if you truly understand who Jesus is, if you have truly experienced what he can do for you, then you have no choice but to marvel and be amazed. And that's a question for each of us this morning. Do we know who Jesus is? Have we experienced for ourselves, for ourselves, what Jesus can do for us? And do we still have that sense of wonder and amazement when we think of who Jesus is and when we think of what he's done? Let's pray.